Welcome to Gin and Topic. I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we don't know anything about anything, really, but we do like to drink gin. That's true. So we decided each week we would drink gin with an expert on something, and hopefully they could teach us something. Awesome. Lovely. Starcher. Agreed. Who are we talking to this week, Sarah? Stop being mean to me. This week, yes. What is our podcast called? Gin and Topic. So what should we be talking about as our topic if our podcast is about gin and topic? Vodka. Yeah, exactly. You see? So that's what we're going to talk about. I'm not going to give you a sensible answer. Come on. When you give me such a dumb question as that. See? (laughs) Dumb is our middle name. It's true. Let me guess. Are we talking about gin We're going to talk about gin. Yeah. We are. So we are talking to Dr. Sue Bailey. Um, She's a food science and culinary history expert. So she is going to talk to us about gin the history of gin. The history of gin. Ooh, I don't know much about the history of gin. Well, exactly. So we'll, we'll have a chat with that in a minute. Okay. 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 And with that, mm-hmm. she is local. She, she is, is in local. Cambridge. Yeah. And we were talking about what we would drink with the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she started talking about any local gins. Of which um, there are some. Between her and us, yes. we yes. realised that there was Pinkster. Yes. Which is a national nationally widely available gin but started very near us it did and i've never tried it no but that is because we are gin snobs we are typically me and sarah sarah and i um avoid any flavored or colored gins we are gin purists and um, i don't like the color pink i love the color pink pink is one of my favorite colors but I don't want to drink it most of the time. Yeah. And pink gin became really fashionable about a year ago. Every time I went out with any of my uni mates, Everyone's they having. were having pink gin and lemonade. Another thing I'm very Ooh, much against. Yeah. I'm very much I'm against lemonade. We haven't mixed it with lemonade. No. So I, I think it's good for us to branch out. Well, exactly. Mm. So we're going to try the Pinksters. Pinkster and then Pinksters have also gone a bit haywire. They've moved away from just Gin. They have. With a different and brand. They have a different brand because the problem with Pinkster, a lot of people see it and think it's a liqueur. It's not a liqueur, it's a gin. But they have now got a liqueur. A liqueur. And it's called the Hedge Pig. Mm-hmm. And this one of the Hedge Pig, because they've got mm. different flavours of the Hedge Pig, this one is the Wild Bullis and Quince Fruit Gin Liqueur. I know of Quinces. Yep. I haven't ever tasted them. Yeah. Don't know fuck all about Bullis. Yeah. Okay, so yes. our question this week yes. is, where does gin come from? What's the history of gin? And how do we know about that history? How do you yep. find out the history of things like food and I drink? would like to know why gin has suddenly become so trendy as well, because it's got trendy recently. As well as Dr. Sue Bailey, mm-hmm. we have also got Stephen from Pinksters coming on. Yes. Um, and he is Stephen Marsh, Stephen who Marsh. set up Pinksters. And mm-hmm. so he can tell us maybe about pink gin and and why it's fashionable Mm -hmm. but he'll also definitely be able to tell us about the wild bullis yes and the importance of you know using things like wild Mm -hmm. bullis and we can talk to him and dr sue bailey Mm -hmm. about the sort of british food and why we should be using the things from our hedgerows and celebrating oh your british food dreams over this sarah her foraging, running through the fields. This week on Gin and Topic. <laughs> and on that note, cheers. I really am unsure about trying this because I don't like flavoured gins, but we've been Ooh. shown that some flavoured gins are quite nice. You're trying it already, so I should. You know what? It is sweeter than your average gin, but I don't mind that. I quite like it. I, I quite like it. If I was, and I'm going to paint a picture for you here. Mm-hmm. Imagine. Got my eyes closed. It's early I'm August. Mm-hmm. I'm in Italy. Okay. It's sort of sunset time. The crickets are chirping. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to go out for a late dinner. I'm yeah. wearing something long and flowy. Mm-hmm. I'm probably okay. looking quite sexy. It's a gin that goes along with that. To me, it doesn't taste like a gin tonic. No. I think it's rather like the difference between having a champagne and having a Kia Royale. Oh, that's this is like having a Kia Royale. Because we like a Kia Royale. And actually sometimes you don't 
always want that it's, juniper dryness of a it's gin quite tonic. It's a nice change. I'm enjoying that. It's quite fruity and refreshing. It is. It's one I can also imagine for a girls' night. We're watching Mamma Mia 1 and 2 back to back. We're yep. probably singing along. Yeah. One of us might have just been dumped or dumped somebody. Yeah. You know, that kind of vibe. Yep. It's one that we would drink an entire bottle of. Yeah. And then end up downloading dating apps together. I could also see it. Mm with afternoon tea yes yes and a scone yeah or a scone yeah or strawberries and cream a cheese twist something like that a cheese twist. i could be at wimbledon oh, with it cheese twist with that i could be at wimbledon so the other thing is i know i like gin yeah i don't really know much about it so we're going to find out history of gin yeah then we're going to look at wild bullis yeah whatever that is and sort of food and, and up a food. bit sloshed well probably because this is going down well Ooh. enjoy <laughs> so we are we've just been chatting about what we already know about the history of gin which mm-hmm. as always <laughs> we know very little if about anything anything I have a feeling at all. everything i may have said is very wrong <laughs> so i'll give you the rundown we okay. we know gin mm-hmm. we know we mm-hmm. like gin mm-hmm. um <laughs> we also think we know that in the past mm-hmm. there were gin dens and gin slums in the sort of victorian we're basing this all on tv programs <laughs> yeah. that we've seen Fair enough. um mm. <laughs> and as you see most of it is based on no fact whatsoever fair enough <laughs> <laughs> so we're hoping that you might be able mm-hmm. to enlighten us a little i would adore um, it if you could say well sarah everything you just said is complete rubbish that would really make my day <laughs> She likes um, that for every single it's one. It's not entirely rubbish. It's well, not entirely you. rubbish. It's <laughs> the sort of drinking Mainly. guns dated back from before then. We can give a backstory to anything. Yeah, I'm very good at backstories. <laughs> now, Sue, I must ask, have you got a gin exactly. with you? Oh, yes. Excellent. Oh, it's Well, it's bottle. still in the bottle, though. Time's we well, need you to put that in a glass <laughs> with some tonic. problem. And I'm intrigued. We have paired ours with a fever tree Mediterranean tonic. And what have nothing you got? else with it. No lime, nothing. I know, We've nothing. Been very... Oh, yes. Great lines. Think alike. <laughs> yes, yes. Fever tree Mediterranean. Yes. Excellent. refreshingly light version how funny <laughs> very in sync look yeah. at us go very in sync <laughs> now i'm just trying to work out correct measures because i often use the cap of a gin bottle but oh. with a tiny little one like this if i use this cap i'd be getting nowhere would i ah, no <laughs> we're terrible we just we go? slosh it in until it looks Whack like it enough <laughs> yes i'm right, afraid we tend to go for how we're feeling yeah which often ends Ooh. up a 50 mm. 50 that's fine mm. Right, that's that's pretty good. We've never had mm. pinksters before, mm. and oh, so we were you? saying yeah. it's quite it's a sweeter gin. Mm. It is a sweeter gin. It is indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My husband is half Dutch, and when we go to Amsterdam, we have to seek out these amazing Geneva bars or Geneva bars. Mm. If you've never been to a Geneva bar in Amsterdam, they're they're not, they're not trendy. They tend to have a resident cat um, and they tend to be quite cosy. <laughs> but they have the most amazing range of gins that taste nothing like gin. Oh. It tastes much, yeah, nothing like gin. It doesn't even look like gin. And it um, looks more like whiskey. Ooh. It tastes a bit more like whiskey. And you drink it neat. You don't mix it. The history of it is really, really interesting and it's really, really important because it's, as I said, it's a really dark spirit. And in fact, it's got a, a totally different base from gin. Um, it was actually made and is made from malt wine, which is oh. rye, corn and wheat. And it's actually and, and so, yes, it's actually much more like a, a light scotch. Geneva is actually the name that they call juniper berries. And oh. that's why when gin came to the UK 
it was easily shortened to to gin from gin. geneva okay oh, so okay. it's not a it's not a british born spirit it's got some fascinating sort of back history because, I mean, when I was researching for the article on gin, I went to the Museum of Cambridge and they've actually got some very early gin bottles there. Oh. And they have got the name Holland's because that often used to be the name given to Geneva because it came from Holland. Right. So there, there are these lovely little original bottles there that are absolutely beautiful. And they're not... They're the sort of very strange shapes and the really interesting shapes. They've got the original labels on. They're, they're really, really beautiful. Yeah. So gin originates from Holland then? Yeah, no, it was from, from Holland. And um, what happened was that we drank a lot of gin in the 16th century. Mm. Um, and there's, have you ever heard of the term Dutch courage? Mm. Yes. Yeah. I've heard of something. I'm so proud of myself. I've heard of something. <laughs> And so okay. Dutch courage is gin. Well, it's baking some given. gin to give you if courage. You drank the gin, it gave you courage because at ah. at that time, what was happening that the um, Dutch and English soldiers um, were fighting the Spanish, and as long mm. as they drank enough gin, that gave them Dutch courage. So, uh, and then yes. what starts? So, what started to happen then is that um, we then got, in fact, a Dutch king on the throne. Um, yeah, 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 William of Orange, yeah. and we got him at right at the end of the 17th century. And he basically said, mm, We're not having any brandy imports from France, we're going to have <laughs> gin instead. <laughs> so, course. much more fashionable. So, a year later or so, he decided that the distilling in England could be liberalized, and then lots of little distilleries set up, a bit like what happened um, about. 10 years or so ago in the UK. So it's, it's fascinating how history suddenly repeats itself. And this is what I was saying to Sarah earlier. I was saying that it feels like about a year ago, back when we could go out with friends, I would go out with uh-huh. friends and suddenly everybody was drinking gin. And I was there going, I've been drinking this. Why is everybody else suddenly on it? And it became really popular again. Well, that's true. I mean, actually, it's became popular from 2008 when oh. the, the gin laws um allowing small distilleries um well there's quite a lot of technical stuff behind it but it allowed small distilleries to actually do distilling that they weren't allowed to do before so there was particular licensing that became much more liberalized ah so so i never understood why there was this sudden resurgence and for for general public like ourselves, you know, we just suddenly see more gins, but you don't know anything that's going on in the background. No. So you're saying in 2008, yeah, no, exactly. there was the change. Well, it was, what happened was actually um, in, in America, they didn't have the same laws that we had. And so what they had was they started to do an awful lot of um, craft distilling. And um, what happened was about, yeah, I think it's 2008, Sitsmith, um, who are quite well known, they actually got a repeal of the Gin Act of 1751, because this act had been on the go since then. And what that had stopped, it stopped the small batch distilling. So William of Orange allowed it to happen. And then the Gin Act, because gin had become so popular, um, decided that the small batch distilling had just had to stop. And since then, um, lots of new gins have come onto the market. So that's why. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. That does. So one of the things you were talking about was bathtub gin. Bathtub gin. So I'm wondering whether that was a revival then of something that was pre... Done in a bath, apparently. Pre... Yes, absolutely. It's exactly exactly a revival of... And I think bathtub gin was an American term, but it also, in one sense, relates a bit to to the sort of illegal... It's basically illegal distilling. Yeah, because... That's what it, it sort of had this thing on the bottom about the prohibition and how it had been yeah. being cooked up in people's baths. And that was where it had come from, people making it illegally, which was quite a fun story, whether or not it was true. <laughs> well, to a certain extent, yes, because, I mean, what happened is, again, um, when gin got really, really popular, is that um, people basically distilled it at home to avoid paying tax. Yeah. 
makes sense. <laughs> yeah, there must have been to to have to put in a law to prevent mm-hmm. people from doing. Mm. They must have had mm. lots, of lot of, <laughs> lots of issues. Yes, there were a lot of issues. <laughs> I mean, basically, what what happened that um, a, a lot of the eighteenth century um, gin was cheaper than beer. And oh, was, well, that would yeah. be brilliant if that was still the case. I'd save so much money. <laughs> and it was also safer to drink than the contaminated water, particularly in cities. So well, that's that's what I seem to recall children drink, drinking gin. And, no, I don't recall it. <laughs> I wasn't alive. Hopefully. <laughs> Is that something from my childhood I forgot? <laughs> But you, but I think because of that, uh, cheaper than beer, safer than water. Mm. That there was, mm. it was just rife that people mm. were drinking. Oh yeah, 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 a lot more gin than they should. So true, and I, I can tell you how much more they were drinking. Um, basically, it was also it was also very sweet, and it um, because it had such a high alcohol content, it deadened people's appetites. So mm. if you were very poor, it was actually quite useful in that sense. And what happened is that. Um, tax the tax records show that gin production reached its peak in 1743 with 70 million liters of gin produced and that was for a, over a, in relation to a population of 6 million wow Whoa. That is <laughs> that's, a that's a lot of gin wow and you know, Always I mean, drink and that's, responsibly. <laughs> mm, yes, but I mean, also that was what was being declared that was being taxed because mm. it was thought that there was a hell of a lot of people who were doing their own, if you like, not necessarily bathtub as such gin, but distilling their own gins. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. And so you and were so, saying it was sweet as well. Yes. Is it is the original gin, the sort of Holland gin, sweet? as well you were saying it was quite whiskey things how is that it is it is slightly sweet I mean there's there's an awful lot of sort of fascination in terms of the sort of the background history of of gin and Mm. what the the different gins became and and what happened is yes we were importing Geneva into the UK um and what I've actually found thanks to um, a friend, she actually say, gave me some information that was saying what was being sold in Cambridge in a brewer, wine and spirits merchant um, by Quayside, by, um, and, and it was called oh. the Anchor Brewery. Yes. Yes, yeah. And what she had actually found and passed on to me was details of what they were selling and the price that they were selling these different types of gins at. And so therefore, because I love doing research, because that's my sort of, if you like, background is is research and and, and sort of academic work, um, was actually finding out a little bit more about those different types of gins. So pray tell, pray tell. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, the most expensive one was Geneva and um, it had a number of different names. It wasn't necessarily right. called Geneva, it was called Hollands mm-hmm. or it was called Shidam after an area of Holland or it was also called Old Tom. Old oh, Tom. <laughs> and there are actually now some new gins that have the name mm. Old Tom given to them, so going back into the history of it. Mm. And what happened is that um, gin was typically sold in barrels. And mm. so it was either called Old Tom or Young Tom and often had a picture of a cat on it. <laughs> Brilliant. So the cat was a sort of symbol, if you like, of, of this particular gin. And what it was is a sweetened gin, a slightly sweetened gin. Mm. Um, and because gin was sweetened a lot at the time um, and basically uh, because it was relatively cheap and relatively available, um, then it was it was a very popular way to make the gin a little bit more palatable, particularly if the quality um, from the distiller wasn't as, as good as it could be. Mm. And so what they had, what it was called, was was the um, Old Tom Gin. So typically the amount of sugar was quite a lot. Um, so about 40 pounds of loaf sugar to every 100 gallons of the gin spirit. So quite sweet. 
which um, is interesting because quite a lot of the time when we have gin, we talk about it being clean and not overly mm, sweet. Yeah. And not overly dry necessarily. Yeah, yeah. And quite a lot of gins you think of being that dry yeah. juniper mm. type taste. Mm. And we were talking about pinks as being on the sweeter side. But enjoyably sweet, whereas that sounds yes. that I sounds would medicinal. Say, yes. That's one that you have after a shock and you're like, get some sugar in you. <laughs> But I mean, obviously, different gins had different amounts of, of, of sugar in them. So I think the different types of gin did have, you know, different, different allowable amounts. And there's this lovely story about the um, old Tom gin is that in London, if you saw a picture of a cat, um, a Tom cat on a wall outside mm-hmm. the pub and a little tube that protruded from the outside of the pub you put in your coin and then the barman inside delivered a shot of gin <laughs> down the tube which you could then drink that would be so good on a night out imagine that so you you're walking have to back in. down the high street and you're waiting for your cheesy chips and you're like hold on guys i've just seen oh that'd be Quick so shot. good i know isn't it lovely i know I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna like invest a in a pub, gin, and I'm gonna do that gin vending machine. Yes, exactly so, exactly so. How so, brilliant! Hmm. So, anyway, this was this lovely, uh, slightly sweet, and and if you like, very popular the the old Tom gin. But then there were other types of gin. So, what started to become more popular um, was a type of gin called um the london gin or dry gin mm-hmm. london gin, gin which we all recognize that, exactly yeah. and and it doesn't necessarily need to be made in london but it's a particular method of making the gin and mm. so that's when we start thinking about gin being a british mm. london drink exactly yeah. so do they then get more like the gins that we know now exactly like the gins that we know now i mean basically before then as i said the gins were really quite sweet they had quite a lot of the botanicals so things like licorice root which gave us a slight sweet Mm. quality to it obviously Mm. had to have juniper berries in it Mm. um and it could even have honey rather than sugar but then this um very clever guy um his name was Aeneas Coffee oh that's a good name isn't it a lovely name Aeneas Coffee and so he invented this um process called continuous distillation and he patented it in 1830, and he was from Ireland. So he's a Dublin. Take out the Irish. <laughs> Sorry, I'm feeling very patriotic today. Oh, excellent, excellent. So um, basically, he very cleverly came up with this distillation method that meant that you could just get a very consistent, pure spirit at a predetermined strength. Because the problem was you couldn't really get a very good evaluation of the quality of a spirit before then yeah because, i can imagine um, yeah doing cooking something in a bathtub you wouldn't they necessarily bathtub no but <laughs> but doing something at home when you think of my cooking you know it, it has it varies brilliant results it but varies. sometimes they are very different from the meal you set out to cook occasionally it's a curry that we've had before that turns into a very different curry absolutely <laughs> And so if you're doing something like that, then it is going to have differing results with every single batch. I will call you out, though, by saying if you just wrote your recipes down once in a while, they'd probably be a bit more similar. Well, I do, but then I don't don't follow the recipe I wrote down. That's true. (laughs) Um, But that must have been the case. So then having a system in place, a distilling Mm. process that Mm. could get the same result every time... Exactly. Must get you more continued customers because they know they're going to get the same every time. Yeah. And I mean, what they basically, it was a major advantage to distillers because it meant that they didn't have to mask the flavor of a very inferior spirit with sugar or lots of heavy spices but they actually then then use much more sophisticated flavors things like um coriander cassia angelica orris root which were flavorings that we use even now in a lot of gins as well we've had gins oh yeah Mm -hmm. recently Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. have those flavors in which they carried on Mm -hmm. 
Which is nice. Yeah, so you could get more inventive and, mm-hmm. and a little more subtle with the botanicals. Mm-hmm. And this was at that period. So, in fact, um, he was very clever and it became very, very popular. So mm-hmm. his abilities really launched this whole chance to have the dry gins. Mm-hmm. The father of gin. Mm-hmm. Yes, have a picture of, father of, of the London gin, indeed. <laughs> of the London yeah. dry. Interesting. Yeah, the London Dry, because I mean, also what was what was the problem with gin? It had had a bit of a bad image with the um, the you know the sort of Hogarth uh, car- caricatures and cartoons of gin. Oh Lane, dear, we're not really helping that. <laughs> no, no. So so that was not very good, and the idea of you know temperance and all the rest of it. Then what was quite important was to actually come up with something that was healthier was good quality Mm. and something that would be acceptable to to both sexes ideally Mm. because that is something i've seen talked about as well as gin being a healthier choice in comparison to wine etc it's talked about Mm. being lower calories especially when mixed with lower tonic water yes and all these things that's true that's true and i'm like i'm not really concerned about that when i'm drinking but (laughs) you know just a little fun fact you look like you're formulating a question you've got that look on your face because you went on the healthy but i was thinking hang on a second you said appealing to both sexes so Mm, did that mean that gin had a sex bias well interestingly there were some gins and this was part of what was shown in the the cambridge um distillers Mm. so he had he was selling the most expensive which was the still the old tom then the cheaper one was the next cheapest one was the london dry Mm -hmm. um and then the even cheaper one was actually a gin cordial oh oh which was um basically it was mixed with different types of flavorings and Mm. sugars so it's not it's not the um, Geneva type gin, and it's not the Old Tom, but it's basically used as a for things such as gin cocktails. Oh. So gin, oh. gin fizz and so on were actually made with cordials, not with straight gin. I still like a gin fizz now and again as well. That's mm-hmm. quite an interesting fact. And so one of the things we're going to be doing a bit later is drinking a liqueur. So would that be a bit more like the gin cordials? Much more like a gin yeah. cordial. Yeah. And it's interesting that the women were often the ones who created these types of cordials and they passed on their recipes from mother to daughter. <laughs> and one of the things I, I, I love doing is with a sort of an academic background and research background and mm-hmm. now getting into writing um, is the research part of things. And I've got probably the, the wrong side of 500 or more books wow. on the history of food and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. And so I always go and have a look through those. Um, I've been a, an internet ferret keeping articles over the years. And then I must admit, one of the benefits of lockdown, sadly, mm. was the ability to go through and file all these properly and organize those and reorganize all my paper based filing as well. So that mm-hmm. that was really good. And then the other thing is um, interviewing people and people who produce brilliant drinks and brilliant foods and so on are more than happy to talk about what they do so I've interviewed people uh, at the Cambridge Cambridge Gin and at um, Roundwood Gin and obviously Stephen so interviewing again is is a very good way of of getting the information as 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 you know yourself so yeah it's It's great Um, and I have to be really cheeky and be a bit of a fangirl for a moment when Sarah said you were coming on, she said, and you'll be very impressed. And I said, why? She went, she's been on one of your favourite TV shows, The Great British Bake Off. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to, had to mention that because I heard it and I just thought that was the coolest thing that anyone's ever done. But you weren't yeah. a contestant. No, you were there in your historian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was there as a sort of a a food science historian, food expert on talking about the Cambridge pudding and making a Cambridge pudding with Sandy Tosfig in Queen's College. Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I really enjoyed doing that. And 
and in one sense it was it was about the sort of start of the sort of launch pad to all the things that I've been doing since then, because I got into that because I've been working with the Museum of Cambridge, doing my weird um, act as Fanny Craddock, who was the sort of first female celebrity chef. I know yes, Fanny, Fanny Craddock. Fanny, darling. Oh, how amazing. <laughs> So I do I do that on the side, and I've done that um, in in Ely for their eel festival, and a sort of you know, acting as Fanny Moncape producing an eel cake. And this will be podcast episode two yes. when instead of yes. Dr. Sue Bailey, we have yes. Fanny Craddock. <laughs> oh, I can do Fanny Craddock anytime you like. Brilliant. Brilliant. So that led me into doing the Fanny Craddock thing, and then led me into doing some more television things so my sort of double hats are as, as a sort of food scientist so I've run masters in, I ran a masters in food science in in London and then have always had this fascination throughout my life with food history mm-hmm. and so it's been the most amazing opportunity to you know go on radio and do television things as as both a food scientist and as a food history expert so and the well the other interesting thing that you've been involved in at the moment is is the love british food mm. um and of course with Stephen, the thing with his gin liqueur one of the ingredients in there is the wild bullet which we'll talk to him yes. about but yes. i mean that is a british um, fruit that's growing in our hedgerows that we I never knew anything of. about. Um, but I know that you're also an ambassador for Love British Food. Mm. Uh, what What is the campaign? What's that all about? Well, it's, it's a campaign that was started a number of years ago because mm. it was sort of felt that British food needed a much better profile. And it happens every year. There's British Food Fortnight, um, Love British Food Fortnight, which happens in the autumn. This year, of course, it was virtual. Mm. But what normally happens that people like um, Michelle Rue and all various celebrities get involved in it and are all ambassadors for for Love British Food. It's, It's quite a a thing and and people tend to sort of do this because they love British food they're sort of they don't get paid for it but you're donating your sort of time and your expertise I've I've just, I've started to write a regular monthly column for the lady magazine which mm-hmm. one of the things it I really like to feature there is British food so things like um cherries gooseberries you know traditional game all those different types of things you know we've got so much to be thankful for in this country and we just really need to promote it as much as we possibly can so yeah Yeah. and I think what Stephen is doing is brilliant it is it's amazing we'd never heard of it until we met Stephen not at all and he is waiting in the waiting room so I'm going to let him in Stephen (laughs) welcome to Gin and Topic hello hello Hello, Stephen we were just talking to Sue about the Love British Food um, campaign. Yeah. And how that celebration of British food is how we were linking everything, and especially with your wild bullets from your hedge pig, but also with raspberries from Pinksters, which I assume they started uh, in that kind of British season. I'm assuming now may have been imported from somewhere else. Who knows? No, 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 no. <laughs> They're all grown at Suncoast Farm, um, just north of Cambridge in Milton. Oh, lovely. So, uh, and they're picked in the morning um, and they're in our tanks in the afternoon. Um, they, we only make pinkster during the English raspberry season. So we start in June and then we finish sort of late September, possibly early October. Wow. Depending That's on the quite a short window considering. Yeah, it is a short season. I mean, we have uh, most distillers. Um, you know, can fire up their stills at any on any day of the year, um, and produce produce their gins at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and most most will do it on a regular basis, and have a constant sort of flow of of gin coming out. We actually we can't do that because uh, because of the raspberries, and um, we can get English raspberries. Over a longer period, we could we could start make we could start in April, mm-hmm. and end in November, which is really. So I mean, the the, even the, the raspberry season in the UK is quite long. Mm-hmm. Um, the trouble is that at the beginning of the season <coughs> and at the end of the season, they're under glass um, mm-hmm. or polythene, 
uh, and they don't really have the flavour. No. So mm. we wait until they've got the flavour, um, uh, which we reckon is in, in June. It's also um, when they're, they're at peak production, so the price of the individual, the raspberry price has come down. Um, and uh, and then, we, then we're very busy for 14 or 16 weeks. That's brilliant. So That's we've brilliant. got a local produced gin, but also with the local raspberries, the local ingredients as well, which, is, as Sue was saying, is all that we should be celebrating uh, yeah. with British food. Mm-hmm. Well, we have very low food miles. Um, mm. which I think is, 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 is really important on these things. Big for your eco-friendly stuff. Sarah loves yeah. an eco-friendly product. <laughs> sustainability front, mm. yeah. Yeah, and look, it's, you know, these things, these things are important. We've all got to do our bit. Mm-hmm. So we can drink a lot of this gin and feel very good about doing it. <laughs> yes, yes. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Well, actually, um, whilst we're talking about pinksters, before we get onto the hedge pig, one of the things we were talking about earlier was, um, you know, that we talk about the history of gin and where it came from and coming over um, to the UK, but actually not knowing a huge amount about how a gin is produced. Yeah. Um, You know, and we talk about distilling, but what is distilling? (laughs) Well, distilling is a very, it, it's actually relatively simple science. Um, oh, good. I, mean, good. I can't simple. do hard science. I failed yeah. two of the GCSEs. Well, I don't think I've got any um, ologies, um, uh, GCSE-ologies either, so, um, or, or science, um, uh, any science qualifications at all. Um, however, I did read history at university, and I and I did uh, I did know, I did learn a little bit about um, the ancient Egyptians, and they they you know they were into distilling. You know, it's it's really very old, um, and, and basically, what with what you're doing is you're heating um, you're you're heating a liquid up, you're vaporizing it, and then you're letting it cool and condense, um, mm. and uh, and it comes down back down as liquid, um, having left behind um, various impurities. Okay. So so distilling uh, you know, the, the 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 art of uh, <coughs> or the, the science of of, of distilling. Um, you know, the, the is, is relatively simple. The kit is obviously much more complicated now than it was than the ancient Egyptians had, but the principles remain the same. Um, and uh, the, the reason that we, that, that, uh, we distill things um, is, as I say, that the, there's, there's lots of impurities um, within the base alcohol, and, uh, and you want to remove those impurities because actually it's the impurities... Uh, the impurities don't do you much good. But, the, you know, so what you do is... Um, you get your your core botanicals, your and all of which are dried. Um, they can come from this country. A lot of them will come from around the world. Um, but you start. You tend to use dried botanicals because they they keep. They're easier to keep um, mm. like that. And uh, and you you macerate, i.e., you infuse those dried botanicals in the neutral grain spirit, and uh, and you do that for twenty four or forty eight hours. And then having done that. Um, uh, and I should say there's, there's, there's three or four different ways to do mm. this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but this is the normal way. You then heat up that liquid um, that's got everything in it and you heat it up and you, you turn it into vapour um, and then you let that vapour you know, condense and you're left with a, with a liquid and you, you then heat it up again um, and you do this three times, so triple distilled. That's what happens normally and we do that for our, um, for our base gin, um, what we describe as our triple juniper, um, we actually then do something very unusual in that we then do a secondary maceration uh, where, with fresh raspberries and two other botanicals. But you kind of came out with it at the perfect time because I was saying to Sue earlier, gin sort of had a real boom. Yeah. Everyone was suddenly going gin crazy. And that was, I think, at least around the time that Pinksters came out. Yes, I mean, I think the gin market, uh, we launched in 2013, Mm. And I, the gin market hadn't really quite sort of taken off in, in mm. 2013. It was, mm-hmm. it was, you know, all the ingredients were there. Really sort of 2015, mm-hmm. that the gin market really began to take off. Mm. Um, but um, I said the ingredients were there because the re- I think the reason the gin market took off um, was largely down to fever tree. Which, funnily enough, we have paired with our gin today. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Excellent. Well, and the reason I think that that um, fever tree have such a uh, have such a big impact is for the first time in ages 
you can actually taste the botanicals in the gin. Yes, which um, is what we always say, mm. drinking it. The only mm. other tonic brands are available, but mm. we always use Viva But they're not so good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the reason they're not so good and the reason that um, Fever Tree, I think, is 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 uh, is responsible for the gin boom, uh, is down to the the, the um, sugar that Fever Tree use. So mm. Fever Tree um, use cane sugar, oh. relatively unprocessed. Schweppes had a monopoly um, mm-hmm. of the tonic market um, for fifty years, and they did what any sensible monopoly owner does, which is to increase its margins. Um, mm-hmm. And they, the the only real way they could do that was every five years to cut the. They added sweetener region. to it, didn't they? As well, well which they, is... they, they went for cheaper and cheaper sugars because mm-hmm. sugar was their major mm-hmm. cost, and they went mm-hmm. found a cheaper alternative. Mm-hmm. And um, so you've got a saccharine sort of film. Mm-hmm. Yes, wow. Coat your tongue. It does, yeah. And that saccharine film mm-hmm. um, prevents the your your taste buds. Tasting the delicate botanicals that the distillers mm. have carefully put so in. So we're not spirit. just fancy and elitist. Yeah. We are correct. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, so, I mean, there are there are other tonics that now that are out there that are also using cane sugar, and, but not every tonic that calls itself as premium a premium tonic is a premium tonic. Which again, like the like the gin resurgence tonics have just boomed. Well, yeah. on that, yeah. I would to like to get Stephen's professional opinion on something because I've been arguing with. Friends, for a while now, mm. that putting lemonade with your gin is an abomination. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> well, you know, some, you know, everybody has different. Everybody has has different taste buds. Yeah, very it's diplomatic. All it's all down to taste. <laughs> Personally, I, I, it's not something I would want to do. Um, mm. people, I will take people, that. <laughs> some people do like it sweeter. Some people actually don't actually don't like the taste of juniper um and they like to have it have it sweeter and actually well sue i was going to i was going to wonder whether actually in the past given the amount of sugar content if you've got a poor gin lemonade might be the way forward well interestingly i was very shocked stunned and amused to try gin and lemonade in spain a, a number of years back and it has this name malaguita or Ooh. Malakita. <laughs> and it was given to me by this Spanish guy. And he said, oh, Sue, you will love this. And I said, mm, yes. Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to be really, things. really disgusted, I have, and this will make you cry. <laughs> I don't want to hear. I had a friend who got one of those cups that you can turn your drinks into slushies. And she made a gym and lemonade slushie. I actually quite like the sound of well, that. You know, uh, yeah. Ice cream? Well, I yeah. actually it's like a granita it. type. I quite like oh, that. No. I think true. on a really it, hot day, buy a swimming pool, a pinkster really slushie. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that would true. be really um, good. No, it, it's, it, again, it's, it's the lemonade that's the problem. <laughs> the lemonade that's the problem. <laughs> we are about to try the hedge pig yep. liqueur, which I'm very excited about. Now, do we have it with ice or without? Is the question. Well, it depends. Where I mean, I'm I'm drinking it. I'm drinking it at the moment. I've got um, ice and I've got uh, ginger ale. Ooh. So I'm having it as a long drink. Oh, um, now you're making that's me quite a good idea. Feel quite yeah. jealous. I don't have ginger ale in the house, but and I've got orange peel. Oh, Sarah's um, now going to cry because she's yeah. going to want that. But it's okay because I'll have that maybe another night. Well, how about you do one without ice and I'll do one with ice and we'll see what happens. If you're going to drink it neat, don't put ice in. Oh, okay. Ice is gone. Ice is gone. It's very, um, I want to say medicinal, but in the best way. Well, you'll get, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll get sweetness on the nose. You'll get sort of honey notes mm. on the nose. Oh, wow. That's... I don't normally like liqueur, but that's sweetness, but not in an overpowering way. No, it's it's only, it's only just a liqueur. Um, it's only uh, you yeah. can have a, over ten percent sugar to be a liqueur, uh, and I think we're ten point two percent. But rather really than it nice. being not smack syrupy. you in the face alcohol, yeah. it's well, it's syrupy, but in a lovely way, it's, in a, a coat your mouth, gorgeous. I want to pour you over ice cream. Kind okay, of way. okay. I'm yeah. getting excited. Calm down, calm down, calm down, calm down. But you're right. There's that balance. It's not too mm. sweet and it's not too alcoholic, um, and yeah. it has got that um, 
I mean, it's cold outside at the moment, but yeah. it has got that real summer fruit yeah. taste to it. And this is the wild bullis and quince. Yeah. Version. Neither of which are flavours I've had before. I've heard of quinces. I hadn't heard of bullis until we spoke. Yeah. And That's I've only had quince as a jelly with cheese because mm. I'm bougie like that. Oh, did you yeah. just use the word bougie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've taught her well. <laughs> um, but what is wild bullis? Well, and... wild bullis is a hedgerow plum. Um, it was very popular in the 19th. Yeah, it was very popular in the 19th century. Um, uh, it was grown actually widely across East Anglia. You, you still find it in, in old kitchen gardens and things like that. If I was to see it, what would it look like? Was it talking it a looks... plum? Is it a purple no, no, plum no, it's a, it's a, thing? It's a, it's a, no, it's a, it's a yellow, um, uh, it's a, it's a yellow orangey, uh, orangey looking mm. thing. It looks really quite pale for a lot of, lot of the season. And then at the oh, end, it's like me. Yellow. I look quite pale for a lot of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I do know it, it's very very easy to miss it's very hard to spot um and and it it, it we find it in in all sorts of um uh, people's mm. gardens is it a bit like a mirabelle plum because i've um i mean is it about sort of that yeah. size yeah, yeah. It, yes it's about the same size as the so mirabelle for plum. listeners that size is what are we 20 pence piece oh way bigger than 20 pence piece 10 That's, pence piece yeah, yeah i mean it, it's a it's a size it's a reasonable size marble oh okay marble. i can picture that that makes okay. more yeah. sense to me and um, and they're and they're they're round they and uh, these are uh, these are shepherd's bullets generally um uh, you get also get black bullets um, oh, which, that doesn't you, sound healthy. <laughs> no, well, it's, uh, black bullets are, are, are wonderful, but they're often mistaken for slows. So you hear people saying they found they found really big um, they found really big juicy slows, and and, um, and actually they found black bullets. And the way to tell them apart is Eat. to is to bite on them, um, and uh, you'll know if you you'll know if they're slows. You know yes. if they completely dry out your mouth, they're slows. <laughs> Um, if they're really quite so sweet and juicy, then they're black bullets. They, they used to they used to make jam out of it, and um, and it was it, as I say, it was very popular for for jam making in the nineteenth century, and went completely out of favour in the First World War. Um, Interesting. So you know, the, the 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 trees and bushes that are still around um, mm. are really um, they're a hangover from from a previous century. So what made you decide to? A, do a liqueur when you've been doing gin and then also decide to try bullets. Well, in a well I've, I've always made, I've always made um, fruit gins. Right. Um, so I've always made things like slow gin and damson gin. Mm. And, uh, and I, I, um, somebody gave me a glass of um, bullets gin in Suffolk a couple of years ago, um, probably about 10, 15 years ago, actually. And, and I thought it was absolutely delicious. Mm. Um, and, and I said, well, you know, what's bullets? And um, and then a few years later, I realised that there was some uh, growing um, uh, just outside Bali, and mm-hmm. I picked it and I made some some I made some bullish gin, um, and but I you know I can't get very much of it, um, mm-hmm. and I'd also um, I'd also been experimenting with um, I mean I, at any one time I've got probably forty or fifty experiments on the go, um, and I'd been experimenting with um, quince, and mm-hmm. I got some quite nice quince gin and just one day I, I was blending and I thought I wonder what you know I wonder how these will work together mm. and it was a sort of eureka another eureka moment when <laughs> actually they 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 blend they they worked incredibly well together mm-hmm. um and the, you know the the, the wobblest and quince it goes incredibly well with cheese mm. oh the quince. yeah um, mm. I don't like a sort of pudding or cheese type wine oh, I do you do but I I'm do. now thinking I would love oh, a little yes. bit of hedge pick with the cheese board. With, oh yeah, with a oh. cheese board. That's absolutely yeah. delicious. And and the reason it might be the fanciest thing I've ever said, but you know, <laughs> you know, that's the moment when you realise that you've become a bit of an adult. <laughs> I became an adult when I asked for pots, pans, and a coffee machine for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so and also I love mm. the fact that you called it a hedge pig yes because this is um the old hedgehog name yeah um we we wanted a name that had uh had foraging connotations um and uh and and not too much competition on google 
So um, <laughs> it was why we wanted to make something up. And uh, once some, somebody had said hedge pig, we were all united. That was, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're good foragers. Um, yeah. And um, we've, known, we've done a tie-up with the uh, British Hedgehog Preservation Society. Um, oh, lovely. Who are an amazing organisation. Um, and uh, doing their bit to try and protect, um, uh, save save hedgehogs. Um, oh, I do love a hedgehog. That's the yeah. best thing I've and heard so all day. And so, are we doing our bit to save hedgehogs by yeah, drinking ev- this? Yeah, every ev- for every bottle we sell, fifty p goes to the Hedgehog Preservation Society. Oh, excellent! We, so uh, we can drink the this exactly. <laughs> the hedgehog, the hedgehog. or the hedge pig, or the hedge yeah. pig. The hedge pig, really good because they yeah. are. Excellent having difficulty animals. they are in our mm. modern society mm-hmm. um yeah. and modern gardens and i think we have to drink one last taste one last uh, to holland we do to holland to and holland, to hedgehogs yeah. Yeah. to holland and hedgehogs, holland and hedgehogs. Holland and hedgehogs. <laughs> nice all, all the h's <laughs> indeed <laughs> What have we learned? Well, I have learned that gin came from Holland. I know. Who, Who knew? London Dry. Uh, <laughs> I know. What? What was yeah. that about? I have learned that there was a way to put a coin into a wall and get a shot of gin, which I'm sorry, if you don't think that sounds like the best thing in the world, then I don't care. So, <laughs> but if you ever see a cat on the wall now, I'm a little cat that, yeah. picture, are you yeah. going to think, are can you going to knock on the door and go, do you have gin? Can I give you a coin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have so, learned that Stephen is too good to say that lemonade with gin is disgusting. That's why I've also learned. But I am going to try a pink to slushy, but with tonic. But with tonic, because you know what? Definitely it could doing be that. really good. Definitely yeah, doing that. It could be. Yeah. Um, I have also learned mm-hmm. that I want to go to Amsterdam. Yes. To go and yes. try some of the original mm-hmm. gins, which I'm conflicted as to whether I would like, because you know I'm not. I'm well, not a whiskey kind not of girl. Like them. No, yeah, but, but I, I want to try them. I want to try them because it'd be like the granddaddy of gins. Don't say that. No, okay. <laughs> I won't say that. <laughs> but it's like where it came from. It's yeah. like going to their motherland. Yeah. I also didn't know that gin just had this big. You know, you hear all about the the um, gin being bad yeah. with lots of people being drunk on it. Yeah. But I didn't realise that it was just because anyone could make it. And I didn't realise there was a law stopping that. Exactly. And the law had to be put in because basically people Everyone were going was. blind. And, and that were... then it got changed. I had no idea yeah. about that. And hence why we have all the small breweries. Well, that's the really interesting thing, because I just thought gin became fashionable again. Yeah. yeah. But actually, it was because gin became legal. Legal again. Mm. To make as small batches. Right. (laughs) We will go. Nice. Nice. Gin. Hedgehogs. Lovely. Lovely. See you later. Bye. Sarah, shall I tell them where they can find us? I think you ought to, because you're the young person, so you know where we can be found. It's true. You can find us on Twitter at Topic Gin. And the same on Instagram. Yeah. And that's all wrong, because Facebook's dead in the water, TikTok, neither of us are young enough for. And I forget what other ones there are. We've got a website. We do have a website. We have ginandtopic.com. Photos by Matthew Richard. Yeah. <laughs>